James chapter 3, verse 3. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. I found a story written by Morgan Blake. He used to write for the Atlanta Journal, Constitution. He wrote it a long time ago, and this is what he wrote. He said, I am more deadly than the screaming shell from the howitzer. I win without killing. I tear down homes, break hearts, and wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget and seldom forgive. My name is Gossip. That's from 1983. And guess what? It was appropriate at the dawn of creation as it is today. It has not stopped and never will. I, uh, I bring that to you because gossip comes from words. You can't gossip without words. It just doesn't work. It's speech, right? So I wanted to tell you something that this passage says. And when you read it, as I have over the years, I get this picture in my head of what it's saying, and I consider that I understand it. This week, I drew myself a mental picture of what it means to talk about a bit controlling a horse, a rudder controlling a ship, and a tongue controlling the body. And I, and I thought, you know, that's pretty neat. I understood that a long time. But then I drew a mental picture of all these things. 
And we could even add a fourth one. Uh, Dale has a wheelchair with a little knob. Not, not today he doesn't. But he has a wheelchair with a little knob and it controls wherever that thing he wants it to go with a little bitty stick. It works good. Uh, he can run into things or not, depending on how he turns that knob, right? Forward, backward, sideways, left, right. It'll do as long as there's battery and everything's working right. Just does what it's supposed to do. Now, here's one thing about a horse in a bit. If you put a bit in a horse's mouth, it doesn't go under his tongue, goes on top of it. Pushes it down. Did you know that? Most of us who've ever owned a horse or uh, put a bit in his mouth know that the bit doesn't go under his tongue. That would be very strange. Can't do that. So it's on top, but the horse can still get a drink of water and still eat because the tongue isn't involved in those things as much. But the bit isn't to control the horse's tongue. It's to control the horse's head. Now, you say, well, what good does it do to control a head? Well, because where the head turns on the horse, that's where his body goes. And if he turns left, he goes left. It's kind of like me driving. If I'm leaning right and I my left hand on the wheel makes the car go to the right. If I'm looking left, my right hand kind of steers it over there and my wife goes, honey, watch the road. I said, I'm watching. Oh, wait a minute. What am I doing over here? Because it's one of those things. It's a natural thing, right? And a ship, the rudder in the back, it's basically uh, rectangular, straight, depending on how what kind of shape it is, but it's more four-sided and it and turns the whole ship with a single rudder. And it's not nearly as big as the ship, right? Now, I wanted to know if anybody would be willing to volunteer to come up here so I can explain the concept that I visualized this week. Do I have someone who would like to come up? Do you want to come up? Come on up. And I'm going to show you all how this context of this text is confused in our mind. Now remember, it says in here the tongue controls the whole body, right? Just like a rudder controls a ship. Let's do it down here so they can see a little better, all right? All right. Let's see. Now, if I'm about to use a horse, right, I would have you by the mouth and turn your head, right? right. So if I turn your head and go forward, you're going to go left, right? Right. Turn right, you're going to go this way, right? Now, if I grab your tongue, I'm not going to, how is that going to move her body? How is that going to control her body? She's not, it's not a rudder. A rudder is at the back and guides the ship forward, right? So how is the tongue controlling this body? Doesn't make any sense when you look at it like that. So you have to think of this text a little different because her tongue doesn't make this thing go somewhere. You understand what I'm saying, right? It doesn't direct the course like a horse or a ship from a small thing. It is very clear later on in the context of this verse, it says it clearly what it means that the tongue controls the body. And the word for body is life. The tongue controls your life. Thank you. That wasn't a difficult illustration. And I think it's simple to understand then, as we read this, then when he says, we put bits in a horse's mouth that they may obey us, we turn the whole body. Look at the rudder. It turns the whole the body of the ship wherever the pilot desires. And in verse 5 it says, The tongue is a little member and boasts great things, and it creates a forest of a from a little fire. A forest fire. 
And, and what's interesting about it is when he says this, he says in verse 6, the tongue is a fire. It's not a rudder. It's not a bit. It's a fire. Now, your tongue doesn't set you on fire physically. So he must be talking about a different fire because I've never seen a fire-breathing human, okay? I mean, I've seen stunts, but not a person who actually talks and flames come out of their mouth. Except for on Pentecost, they said tongues like flames of fire. But that's different. Now, it says it's a world of iniquity. And it's also said among our members that it defiles our whole body. Now we're starting to see that it defiles the body. And then he says it. It sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Now the word hell there is Gehenna. Gehenna is referring to the pit outside of Jerusalem where they burnt garbage all the time. Now that pit was dedicated, if you will, by King Josiah back in the day when they used to sacrifice children there. And he said, we're not going to use this. We're not going to build anything on it. We're going to use it for garbage because it's been um, blasphemed by sacrificing of children there. And so from that day, and I don't know to what day, but definitely at the time of Christ, it was still being used in a burning fire where you find you know, worms and maggots and bugs and, and smell. That was Gehenna. So when, when we hear the word hell, we're thinking of eternal fire, lake, and brimstone. He's talking about that nasty pit right there. And that thing is what your tongue's full of. But he says something right before that. He said, it sets on fire the course of nature. And when I read that, I go, I don't know what that means. You ever read a verse in the Bible going, I just don't understand this. I'm just going to have to ask somebody to find out. I don't know. It's confusing. It's one of those things where when I read it, I go, this has to say something, but I don't know what he means. So I dug a little bit. And this word course is the word actually standing for origin or the wheel. The thing that sets in motion things. The beginnings and the moving of it. And then nature is the word for life. So what it's saying there is that the tongue sets on fire your wheel of life. So what you speak, your life goes in that direction, sets it moving. doesn't mean it's on fire. It, mean it, it means it ignites it. It ignites the direction of your life by what you say. And what you say usually comes out of a heart that's already determined what you're going to do. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, correct? And so, what we hear then is that our tongue is directing our lives and where we're headed and it's set a path. And the problem is that the tongue... It doesn't have a boss. Now, let me try that again. Verse 8. No man can tame the tongue. We can tame all sorts of beasts. We can't tame the tongue. Now, this is a really, really good passage that we need to listen to. When James is talking about this, he's trying to tell us our situation so we stop trying to make it what it isn't. You can't resolve something if you don't know what the issue is. 
And so if you're all day long going, uh, uh, for the new year, I'm going to quit gossiping. After six hours, I'll try again next year. A lot of people do that, right? It's, I'm not going to say anything bad. If I can't have anything to say, I'll just be quiet. That lasts about a day, right? And the silence kills you. Especially if you're a critical spirit or other type of uh, bitterness in your heart. Because you just can't help yourself. Or if you're a negative person. Everything you say is negative or mostly negative because you are negative inside. And the tongue doesn't create this. Listen, the tongue does what it's told to do by what naturally makes it work. And what makes your tongue work is your heart. Your heart makes your tongue operate. You say, no, it doesn't. It's all these muscles and the brain and the thoughts and... Let's not get technical with the biological aspects of how your tongue wiggles and moves and how it happens. We're talking about our speech and the source of our thoughts that create our speech. And it's our heart. What we think about is what we speak of. Did you know that you could have all sorts of thoughts towards someone that are negative, but if you never in your lifetime speak it out, it will never come across to that person that your words are negative. Because you haven't said them. Unspoken words don't destroy you. Now you say, well, what do you mean? Well, let's look over Mark chapter 7 and you'll understand what I mean. Jesus is speaking here and you probably heard this passage before beginning at verse 20. He says, what comes out of a man, that defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of men, out of the, Jesus said, out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, adultery, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these come out of the heart. All these things come from within and defile you. If they come out, if you don't speak those things or do those things, your tongue has not acted on those things. But again, you can't tame the tongue. So here we have a dilemma. How am I going to live a, a, a speech uh, life or a holy speech filled life for God with a tongue that I can't fix. Because I know that my tongue is going to do some stuff I don't want it to do. You ever heard that phrase, help me, I'm talking and I can't shut up? You ever heard that one? A lot of people say, I have a five inch problem, it's my tongue. Well, it's true, it is. But we don't look at it like that. We take it in jest. We say, you know, it is what it is. But that's because we look at the symptom instead of the problem. Our tongue is telling us who we are. And it's telling the world who we are in Christ. If our tongue is bitter and cruel, it's who we are. And who we are in Christ is bitter and cruel about the world. And we haven't become grateful yet. 
A tongue that speaks thankful gratitude has a grateful heart. Not just at Thanksgiving, not just at a time when you receive something, but grateful that God loves them, that He's given them a new day, He's given them breath in their lungs, and hope and joy. That God has done this, and you're thankful, and you speak out that. Right? But if you're not thankful, or you're resentful, you speak that. You can't stop the tongue from telling your truth, is what I'm trying to say. If you write that down, I need that later. I'm going to put it on a t-shirt. You can't stop your tongue from telling your truth. Sooner or later, it's going to give you up. Usually sooner. And for some, quite often. Now you go, no, not me. I never say anything but you know good stuff. Mm-hmm. We wish that were true for you too. But all of us have trouble. But our tongue creates... The reality externally of our inner heart. So if our heart's in turmoil, we're speaking to create that turmoil around us so it matches our inner self. Listen, this is pretty neat. We talked about homeostasis before, and that's where everything is at a sense of peace and rest and no stress. We strive for that. There's a second alternative to that that many people settle for that really doesn't work. And that is if you're turmoiled inside and you create turmoil outside, you think everything's normal because everything outside is the same as the inside. Now you think, my homeostasis is turmoil and everything's that way, so it's okay. Doesn't make it okay, but it's like the inside, and if the inside is like the outside and you believe that, then you're okay in your mind. However, it's not true. For example, suppose you believe that it's all right to murder. In your heart, you think murder's okay. Now you hang around a bunch of folks who also think it's okay. So now you're convinced that this is a good thing. Now you're all talking murder's okay. And in your heart, you're going, hey, I got no conviction anymore because everybody's agreeing with me. My external world is matching my internal heart. Therefore, I have peace in my heart because there's no stress for me to change. However, once you belong to Jesus Christ, things change in your heart because you've asked Him to be Lord of your life and King of your world and to guide you to become holy like He is. To be righteous and to live a godly life. And so when your heart does this deceitful stuff and is trying to create it externally, the Holy Spirit with Jesus Christ starts checking you and saying, that's not me. I don't want that for you. This is not my character coming through you. And what we do is we have this inner turmoil. Maybe you've seen it. I don't want to do this, but, but, but I feel like I got to. God doesn't want me to, but, 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 but I got to. And, and you feel stress. Because you know now what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, you know the good, but this thing inside you is telling you the bad stuff. Because your heart is gradually transforming and being renewed by the renewing of your mind. But if you never change your thinking, your heart never changes, and so your speech doesn't change, and yet Jesus is in there going, you know, I thought you loved me. And so you carry around guilt. And shame because you can't live out the Christian life because you've never changed what you think. 
becomes kind of a mess, doesn't it? In other words, if you don't change what you think about, about yourself, your world, God, people, your job, your words in your life will stay on the same course it's on. Because it's already started that way when you spoke it as your reality. Oh, yeah, let me give you a little more piece of information that will help you. When God began everything in Genesis, did He go like this? And point? Did He nod His head, wiggle His nose like bewitched? Did He do the genie thing? No. What happened? Genesis 1. You all know, don't you? In the beginning, God said. He spoke. And what He spoke set on the course of life, the wheel of life of creation moving. Out of Himself came this creation. He created it. Your words create your reality whether it's godly or not, your words put it in motion. If you speak out and say, I'll never be happy, that's your reality. God never said that. If you say, I'm always upset, I'm always depressed, I'm always frustrated, or I'll never be free. These words you're setting out there as the course of your life. The wheel of your life is rolling in that direction because you're saying it, but you're not because you're saying it, but you're saying what's your reality inside. And so you're trying to convince yourself that the outside's got to support your belief. The problem is, is the outside really doesn't match up with your belief. It matches up with God. No matter what the outside looks like, eventually, sooner or later, it's going to work God's way. And you can either set the wheel of your life God's way now, or when God intervenes and you go, what's going on here? Why can't I get this done? And you become hopeless and helpless and broken and wonder what happened. God, I can't fix this. You ever had that moment? I can't make this work. I can't make it Better. It's gone so far, there's no hope for this. I've been there, unfortunately, more than once. But at that point, that which I spoke was reality. It was not a lie. And it was lined up with the truth of who I am is I cannot fix this, make it work without God. And the moment when I realize that is the time when inner matches up with the world saying, this is God's way. Your way doesn't work. Now speak that truth. And you say, I can't do it. I can't fix it. I can't make it work. I'm done with trying. Thank God. You finally surrender to God at that moment because you can't do anything about it. And in that moment, God says, finally, your inside says, only God can. And that's the truth from day one. Only God can. He's enlisted your help, but only He can. 
And when you keep kicking against him as the Apostle Paul did, you might wind up with a blinding light saying, wake up, you're hurting me. And Paul says, who are you? Actually, it was Saul at the time, and the answer was, I'm Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? Why are you fighting me? Why are you going against what's good for you? The truth is, until our hearts come into line with God, our tongue keeps telling us we're not. And it tells the world the same. That's what James is saying. Our tongue tells us our truth to the world. So if you want to know what you believe, how you stand with God, listen to what you say. Not the words, but the words with intent. What you intend. I've heard people say, this is the best of all possible worlds. And that was the optimist speaking. And the pessimist stood next to him and said, you're right. Like it's not going to get any better than this. And both of them looked at the same picture, didn't they? But do you believe God can take broken and change it and transform it to something good? Do you believe God in you can restore hope, peace, joy, and remove the stressors from your life in their nature of how they affect you. Now, I didn't say He's going to take away those people who stress you. The nature of how they affect you. If you have peace like a river inside, external stuff outside can't get that. Because inside is what you speak from. But if you go, I'm so stressed, you're looking at what's around. Unless your mind's all in a whirl. And that's because what's all around already got inside. But the peace from God inside goes beyond all that. It is permanent. But if you choose to listen to it or not, is what comes out of your mouth. So that's what James says. Everybody can tame a beast, a bird, creatures and reptiles. Those are tamed and mankind has, but we do not tame our tongue. God doesn't want us to tame it. He wants us to use it and listen to it and learn from it. Our tongue is evil, full of deadly poison because we are sinful by nature. And the tongue changes Here's a beautiful thing. Get this. You're going to like this. I made allusion to it. On the day of Pentecost, tongues of fire. They spoke with tongues of fire. Each one speaking to each person in their own language. Many languages were represented. And that day, the tongue of fire set on course a new direction for the wheel of life. The church was born. When the tongue has the fire of God lighting the wheel of life and it pushes it forward, the world transforms. As the people around them said, they're turning the world upside down because of the fire of God. That's the kind of tongue I would love for us to have. And James goes on to say, with our tongues we bless God and curse it, men with others. And yet they're made 
in the image of God. Oh, I wish he didn't write that. I wish he didn't, then I wouldn't have to tell you what it means. Do you know what it means to be created in the image of God? When he created Adam, he created him in male and female. In Genesis 1.26, let us create man and women in our image. The image of God are the people around you. And if you're blessing God, and yet you're looking at the image of God around you and cursing it, you're cursing the image of God. Do you understand? If you don't see God in others, you're not going to see them as godly people or worthy of love. And so you will curse or speak ill of, or, as I began this message with, speak gossip of people who are in God's image. And if they're in God's image, then you're also speaking it of God. That's what James is saying. Because you can't bless God and curse what looks like Him. Doesn't make sense to. I love the forest except for all those darn trees in a way. That's what it's saying. I love the ocean except for all that water. I love to be on the beach except for all the sand. I love the world and everything in it except the people. If all the people were gone, I'd feel better. Well, you'd be gone too. That's just how we think, isn't it? And we, we miss this because we don't consider what we're saying. And James is saying, listen to yourself. If you're going to talk, listen to what you're saying. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, and it ought not to be that way. Because congruency or the same thing ought to come out of your heart in all situations. Otherwise, you're playing faith games. I believe in God, I love God, but I'm not going to love any. Believe God, love God, but I'm not going to do any work for the church. I believe God, love God, think Jesus is awesome, but uh, you know I'm not going to donate my time or my talent or finances to anything God wants me to do. I believe God and I love God, but I'm not going to go to church, I'm not going to talk about it, I'm not going to pray, I'm not going to read my Bible, but that's okay because I believe God and I love God. Those are faith games. They don't really have any faith in them. Here's what I'm saying. If you say you believe God and you love God, your mouth's going to speak about God. Your words are going to glorify God. You're going to want to honor God with your speech because your heart has desired to love Him. Oh, did you not know that your heart and the reason it speaks what your tongue is is it because it speaks what it's trying to glorify. Your tongue speaks what it's trying to glorify and honor. If it's criticism, you're glorifying critical spirit and destruction. And that's why James says this ought not to be. You may desire one, but do both. Then you have to say, God, I tried to fix my speech. Can't do it. Change my heart. Change my mind. Heavenly Father, Give me a heart for you. As Ezekiel says, take out this stone-filled heart and put a soft, pliable one in there. It's not so hard. One of my favorite stories, I'll close with this, is the uh, Israelites. <laughs> I, uh, I really think that they're uh, 
depicted accurately by God when He says they're hard-hearted. Now you might say, why is that? Well, listen to this. God said, if you'll do what I say, I'll bring you into the promised land. So all you got to do is do what I say. Have no other gods. Don't make any golden calves. Don't worship false gods. Don't have any idols. Just remember me and do what I ask you to do and love each other and uh, honor me. and Don't kill anybody. You know, Don't steal from one another. Um, and I'll put you in the promised land. Sounds like a good deal, right? I'll give you everything you desired when you left your old life in Egypt if you'll just honor me first. For 40 years they wandered in the desert because they refused to honor God first for 40 years. And the ones who did go 40 years out of Israel never went in but Jacob and Joshua and Caleb. Those only two that came out of Israel that went in. You know what I'm saying? They never changed. And God's promise was still there if they had just deterred. If they had repented. And they wouldn't have had to wonder their life wondering when's the promise going to happen to me. When your obedience comes, your promise recurs. Simple as that. And when your obedience comes, you'll speak it because your heart will honor the promise it's been. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank You that Your Word is true. You've always been faithful. In our lives, we've wandered to and from, hither and yon, and all of it just to keep avoiding what You've asked us to do because it's too hard, too difficult, don't understand it, don't want to, we're stubborn. All those reasons we can think of, Lord. And yet we still persist. So I'm asking you this morning, Heavenly Father, You'd help us to be obedient to Your Word, to You, to the nudges of Your Holy Spirit. God, that the wheel of our life would turn toward You even if it means a 180 degree turn. Forgive us for going the other way. Help us to listen to what we say to see what direction our lives are headed in because we're going one direction and that's the direction we say we are. So help us to turn that direction by turning to You. Heavenly Father, set on course the fire of our life, the wheel ignited with Your Holy Spirit this morning towards You. I pray this in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.